Turn your Bible this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 6, 2 Samuel chapter number 6, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses of this chapter this morning, and I want to remind you about the service tonight while you're turning there, and our missionary that'll be here, I want you to be uh, here in the service tonight, and uh, help me if you will, because of the crowds and the heat, and and uh, get in, uh, use use the front doors if you can, and get in here and, and find your place. And uh, that's one of the joys of in the move is we're going to have more space. And I'm thankful for what God has given us. Uh, but I know that there are some that use as an excuse to stay home on Sunday night just because of the crowd. And I'm not fussing at you. Um, sitting in the floor Indian style is not appealing to me either. But uh, we'll look forward to the day when we have plenty of space. Uh, but help us tonight. And I want you to be in the service this evening. Second Samuel chapter number 6, uh, verse number 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nathan's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Para Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. A fairly familiar passage of Scripture and uh, centers around this man Uzzah touching the ark of God and him losing his life uh, because he touched the ark of God. And that's certainly an important aspect to look at. Uh, oftentimes, I've heard this mes uh, a message preached from this passage of Scripture on the new cart and how the ark was placed in a new cart. And there's some new carts of today uh, that uh, the power of God is trying to be packaged in. And certainly, uh, those messages are certainly applicable. But this morning, as uh, I, I, I bring this message and I think of the days ahead, and I think of the Emmanuel Baptist Church and how good God has been to us, I, I believe there is a, a, another danger found in this passage of Scripture. There's another warning, uh, if I could put it that way, that I believe God has for you and I this morning. And I want to bring a message on this title, The Danger of Casual Christianity. The Danger of Casual Christianity. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, I pray that You'll take the time we have remaining and you'll use it. May there not be a wasted moment. Uh, may the, the Spirit of God be evident this morning. May the Word of God uh, convict us. May it challenge us. And Father, I pray that we'll heed the warning that I believe is laid out in the Scripture today. Uh, may we listen to what you have for us. If there's one here unsaved, may they get their salvation settled. If there's one away from you, uh, may their heart be tender to you today. 
We ask that your will be done, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We come to this passage of Scripture, and uh, David is the anointed king. And God has chosen David to be the the next king, and uh, David has now been anointed, and uh, God has preserved him. Uh, God had anointed him king, and of course Saul uh, did not, uh, was not as excited about that as David was. And Saul had pursued David, and Saul had tried to kill David, and Saul had tried to stop what God had established. And that in itself is a good lesson for you and I, that whatever God puts into motion is going to come about. Whatever God says is going to happen is going to happen. If God makes a promise or He makes a declaration, it's as good as done. And it's an example there that God had preserved David because God had preserved His Word. God had preserved what He said He was going to do. Not only had God preserved David, and that was that is a blessing enough, but in the preservation and in the time of exile and in the time of running, God had also blessed David. There are many blessings that God had brought on David in spite of the opposition to him, in spite of the valleys that he had to go through, God still blessed David. And what a good reminder to you and I that no matter what you're going through, God is still a God of blessing. God is still a God uh, that bestows goodness upon his people, no matter what our circumstance is. And so he has been anointed king. God has preserved him. God has blessed him. And the nation of Israel is rallying to David, and God is going to establish the throne of David forever. The book of 1 Chronicles gives a lot more detail to this and and how God has brought all the people uh, begin to rally around David, but this story is a reminder for you and I that in the midst of every time of blessing, there is a danger. It's a reminder that Every command of God, God takes seriously. Uh, It's a reminder that there is danger in the time of victory. David had faced some of his darkest hours. David had faced the possibility of death. David had faced a, a king trying to destroy him, and he was brought forth victorious. What a joy that must have been. What a celebration must have been in the heart of David at the victory God had brought. But there was a danger there. There was a danger in the time of blessing. There's danger, friend, this morning in spiritual success. God has blessed the Emmanuel Baptist Church. The Emmanuel Baptist Church has proven through the years that it as a unit, as a whole, it has a heart that will submit to God and will submit to the leading of God, will submit to how God guides us. It's not a heart of rebellion. It is, it is just, we are just happy to be serving our God. It is, God has blessed us and God has given us great victories and God has brought us through even dark times and in the midst of even if you call them valleys, God has just poured out his blessing because we serve a great God and we can testify this morning that God has has blessed us. All of us in here, if we took the time this morning, could look somewhere in the past and say, oh, let me testify this morning about how God has brought me through some things. And this morning, it's evident that God has blessed 
us collectively as a church, but individually as Christians. God is a good God. God is a, a God of blessings, and we have experienced, if I could call it this this morning, spiritual success because of a good God. But this morning, I do not warn us as a church of rebellion, although we must always be wary of a rebellious heart. I'm not going to warn us this morning, and what is on my heart is <clears throat> not in the, in the heart of a young person this morning, the rebellion against the things of God, the rebellion against their upbringing, although that's a very real thing, but that's not my warning this morning. My warning this morning is not to a group of people that it, it, it has their hearts set on going away from the things of God. If I can say it like this, we like the blessings of God. We like the answered prayers. We like the presence of God. We like for God to do great things. But friend, this morning, just as in the, in the life of David, when God preserves, when God blesses, when God begins to assemble around, there is a danger that can be found, and it is casual Christianity. It is approaching the things of God in a casual way. It is getting so used to God coming through, and it's just a matter of fact that God will bless, that we approach things casually. And friend, we have a God that we should not approach in a casual way. And we have a task in front of us that we should not approach in a casual way. And I would submit to you this morning that in the life of, of Uzzah, his, his demise was because of a casualness that had crept in and not a rebelliousness. And while the, the highways of life are littered with Christians who had a rebellious heart, I believe it is littered also in, with the lives of Christians who just approach spiritual things in a casual manner. Friend, this morning there are several things I want us to see from this story that I'm certain will be a help to us. The first thing I'll mention this morning is this. David's intentions were right. But his obedience was wrong. In verse number 2, And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. David has been delivered. David has been preserved. David had been, has been blessed. The nation of Israel has rallied to David and David would lead God's people. He, was, he would establish the kingdom, his throne. God would establish it forever. And David was smart enough, he was wise enough to know that God had everything to do with it. God's, and David said, where's the ark of God? So the book of 2 Chronicles uh, makes a mention of, uh, and, I'm, and I don't remember the exact wording of it, but basically reference to just because the kingdom of Saul did not seek the ark of God, we're going to seek the, the ark of God. Go get it. His intentions were right. I say in verse number 2 to David, a big amen. It's the ark of the Lord. It's time to get God back where His presence where it needs to be. But verse number 3, And when they set the ark of God upon a new cart, while his intentions were right in verse number 2, his obedience was wrong in verse number 3. 
If you know, and I don't have time this morning because we're of our schedule, but if we were to take time to go back and look at how God had commanded that the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried and transported. It was not to be placed in a cart of any kind, but it was to be carried in a specific manner. David, I believe, had good intentions in his heart. I believe David set out that day and set this task in motion to get the ark where it needed to be. And we're going to rejoice around the presence of God. That ark of the covenant represents, represented the presence of God, <clears throat> the power of God. And David, I believe in his heart, said it needs to be in that prominent place and where it's supposed to be. And he wanted, he wanted the, the ark in the, his presence, but he made a mistake. He disobeyed how it was to be carried. And how many Christians have good intentions in their heart, but yet they disobey the instructions of God? Friend, when it's all said and done, and when we, when we give uh, an account unto God, God is not as concerned about the intention in your heart as He is. Did you obey Him? And too many Christians are rationalizing and justifying, and the end justifies the means, and all God sitting on His throne in heaven wants to know is, are you obeying me? Are you hearing what I say? I, I'm thankful that you have good intentions. And I've had it said to me as a pastor, Pastor, my heart is pure. My heart doesn't have any bad motives. But friend, it really doesn't come down to that. It comes down to just obeying God. I believe David had good intentions. I believe his heart was right. But he did not obey God. Many Christians fall into this same trap. The Bible does say to obey is better than sacrifice. Oh, I'm doing this for God and, and, I'm in the, and you ought to be in the house of God. But how are you obeying God? Well, I can, I can, I can figure this out. And, and, I can, and too many Christians are trying to manipulate a, a will of God for their life when God doesn't want to know your intentions. God is not as concerned about your intentions. He just wants to know, are you obeying His Word? I believe there is pastors uh, who, who, have, who have convinced themselves and believe the lie of the devil and say, we just want to reach our community more. And it doesn't matter as much that we obey God. Friend, that's all that matters is are we obeying God? In verse number 5, And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. Man, David and the people, they're celebrating. They're rejoicing. They are pray, playing all of those instruments as worship to God. And how many times has this been used as an excuse in the life of a Christian? Well, I'm just giving honor to God, and God just he sends us a clear message. You cannot honor me if you are not obeying me. And it doesn't matter how many instruments are played. It doesn't matter how many amens are shouted. It doesn't matter how many times somebody says glory to God. If we are doing something that is disobedient to God, He is not pleased. Verse 
And too many Christians today are living. It's a trap that you and I can fall into. My heart has the right intentions, Pastor. But are you obeying God? That's what it comes down to. Are we just obeying what God has said? It doesn't matter how you've rationalized it. It doesn't matter how you've justified it. And sometimes there's something God has commanded us to do. And we want to bargain with God and say, well, I, I am doing this and I am. But God just wants to know, are you obeying? God had been very specific in how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. That's all God cared about. And too many Christians are putting too much emphasis on what they feel and where our intentions are and my justification. We've got to just get back to just obeying God, just pleasing God. See, David's intentions were right, but his obedience was wrong. See, a casual Christianity creeps in when we think that obedience is optional when it comes to God. As we find in this story, obedience was not optional. Well, my heart, your heart can be in the right place, but are you obeying? David's intentions were right, but his obedience was wrong. Number two. Second statement is this. Uzzah was a casualty of casualness more than rebellion. I would submit to you this morning, and I would submit to you that Uzzah died not because of a rebellious heart, but because of a casual approach to holy things. Look with me in verse number 6. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. That cart began to shake and that ark began to wobble, if you will, and it seemed that it would fall over. And, verse seven, uh, and, 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 and Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his rebellion. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say rebellion. It says error. And friend, God takes seriously how we approach Holy things, how we approach spiritual things, how we approach His commandments. And I do not believe that God killed Uzzah because he was a rebel, because he had a rebel's heart. I believe it was because he had fallen into the trap of casualness in that which was holy, that which represents God's presence and His power. No man was to touch, no man was to ever lay a hand, but they had gotten so used God's blessings, and they had worked themselves up in singing praises unto God that I could just reach out and touch it. I would submit to you this morning that Uzzah, it was a reaction. He saw the, the ark of God beginning to shake him. He couldn't let the ark of God fall. He couldn't let it, let it fall out of that cart. I mean, could you imagine what might have happened if the ark of God had been allowed to fall there into the dust? Uh, it, uh, one can only imagine what would have taken place if that had happened, so in his mind, in his heart, in that instant, he just does what any of us would have done. I can't let the ark fall. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to steady it and I'm going to keep it from falling in the dust. 
And in that moment, God killed him, not because he was a rebel, but because he approached spiritual things in a casual nature. He was casual. Well, I can find in Scripture times when somebody with a rebel's heart would rise up against God and God smites them down and God kills them and God takes their life. But in our passage this morning, we find a man who didn't, I do not believe he had a rebel's heart, but he had a casual approach and he was just as dead as the rebel. Friend, if you've got a heart of rebellion this morning, God will deal with you. But friend, we ought to be just as alarmed this morning because we have seen the preservation of God. We have experienced the blessings of God. He has showed us over and over again that He is a benevolent God. And we rejoice in His goodness. We praise Him for His goodness. We celebrate His goodness. We must be very careful not to fall in the trap of casual Christianity because God is real in our life. We feel that we don't have to approach Him in a way that He deserves to be approached because God is available to us. We feel as though we don't have to approach Him in the way that He says that we should approach Him and we don't have to act around spiritual things the way we should act. Uzzah was a casualty of carnalness. I would submit to you this morning that there are a lot of Christians who are destroyed by a rebellious heart. There's a lot of Christians who approach spiritual matters casually. How casual are we in our prayer closet? Oh, we, we rejoice and we say a big amen whenever the preacher says, Hey, God answers prayer. But we approach talking to our God very casually. Meaning it's there when I need it. Are we casual in our Bible reading, our Bible study, how we approach the Word of God? Are we casual in what the Word of God says? You know, that, that, that applies to somebody else. That doesn't apply to me. That applies to those over there, but that does not apply to me. And we approach the commands of Scripture in a casual manner. How casual do we approach our uh, church attendance? We know what God says, and everybody knows that I'll be in church on Sunday, but how casual are we with that? How casual are we in our relationships? And how, let's just get down to it this morning. There are some relationships that God forbids a Christian to have. There are some relationships that a Christian, a child of God, should not be in. But we've gotten casual. We've justified it. We, we, we've reconciled it in our own mind. And after all, hey, I'm not going anywhere. After all, I'm still in the church. After all, I'm still serving God. But yet, it's just going to be one time that cart begins to shake. And the ark begins to move, and it's just a reaction now because we, we've got it in the new cart. It's just a reaction to reach out and touch it, to steady it. And because we approached Christianity, we approached holy things in a casual manner. Used to be, we used to have a day in our nation when you had to have a pretty good excuse to miss church. And now we've got to have an excuse to be in church. We used to live in a day where a pastor or a man of God could walk into a restaurant 
Or a man of God can say, you need to be careful of that, you need to stay away from that, and you wouldn't sleep for three days. We approach it very casual now, don't we? We used to live in a day, we, there's a day with maybe in our own life, when thus saith the Lord. Whenever we read that scripture, we had highlighter in hand, pen by our side to make a note that God has said, and I better pay close attention. But now we approach things in a casual manner. That doesn't really apply to me. Or it's just a reaction now. The, see, part of the reason why God had commanded that the ark be carried in a certain way because it was to signify what exactly it was. It was to remind them that this was the presence and the power of God and it should be treated in a certain way. But when you throw it on a new cart and you carry it like you would carry anything else and you, and you use the means that you would use anything else, it takes away the significance of the power and the presence of God and we just approach it in a casual manner. Number three, David was frustrated at the circumstances, but did not immediately correct the problem. We see in verse number seven that the Lord killed Uzzah. Verse eight, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Verse nine, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? David sounded like a lot of Christians I've talked to. Well, now how is this going to work out? Now how is the ark going to come to me? I'm doing a good thing. God knows my heart. I just wanted to get the presence of God. I just wanted to get the power of God. I just wanted to acknowledge that God has been good in my life. Now that us has been killed, now how's the ark going to come to me? How many times Christians have, have approached God with that same attitude? We don't like the circumstances. We don't like the consequences. But instead of fixing the problem, we just want to be frustrated by the situation we're in. Pastor, I'm frustrated. Pastor, I don't like the situation I'm in. And I just want to say to you, obey and it will all go away. Submit to God and there won't be frustration. Give in to Him, and you won't be frustrated at life and the circumstances that you have. Too many Christians are living, and they're not happy with their circumstances, but they just don't want to fix the problem. If children are in conflict with mom and dad, submit, and the problem will be fixed. If you're at odds with your pastor, listen, and the frustration will go away. If you get upset... When certain subjects are preached on, submit to the Word of God. And the circumstances will change. Well, we approach things so casually. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, He doesn't really mean that. He's not really talking to me. Oh, we approach uh, spiritual things, holy things in a casual manner. I've always known the Lord. I've, I've always known the things of God. And now the circumstances are such, I'm just frustrated by them. All he had to do was fix the problem. Verse number 9 says, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So watch verse 10 and 11. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. 
And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So the ark stays. They put it at the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, his life is changing. Instead of, instead of, how is this ark supposed to be transported? Frustrated at Uzzah being killed. How can I get the ark to me? It gets parked at Obed-Edom's house. And the Bible tells us that in the house of Obed-Edom, for three months, the Lord blessed his house, all of his household. Because the power and the presence of God. I think Obed-Edom, every day they look out the window and say, I hope David don't come back today. I hope they forget where they left the ark. But don't miss this. For three months, David lived without the presence that he could have had. If he would have just fixed the problem. For three months, he was absent. The power of God he could have had. If he would have just fixed the problem. Christian, why are you content without the presence of God in your life? Oh, pastor, I'm in church. Yeah, the presence of God is here. But in your life, in your walk with God, why are you content without the presence? All you got to do is fix the problem and you'll have it again. You could have the power of God All you've got to do is fix the problem. But we like to voice our frustration, don't we? We like to complain about the circumstances. God, why'd you kill Uzzah? Now how am I going to get the ark? And certainly, everything stopped right there. Here's a man laying dead next to the ark. Obed-Edom is going to reap the benefits. All David. Now, we continue reading. David does eventually go back and get the ark. But for three months, he lived without the presence of God. Why are we content? And see, here's another reminder for all of us this morning. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to do what God says in God's way and have His presence or have His power or live a frustrated life. Because you won't fix the problem. Because you're approaching Christianity too casual. You think God gives options. Think God comes with a survey. Think God says pick A or B and I'll I'll adjust. No, no, friend. There's too many Christians that live in frustrated lives. David was frustrated at the circumstances but didn't. Not immediately correct the problem. Number four, and finally this morning, the power of God can work for you, or the power of God can work against you. Friend, there is no power like the power of God. God opens doors no man can open. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled with with members and say, Pastor, I I need a miracle when it comes to my job. I need a miracle in this this situation. I've got a a decision I have to make, and there's something I have to do, and I don't see any way it's going to work out. And and then we say, well, just pray about it and trust the Lord. And and then just just a little bit of time. Guess what God did? He opened the door that nobody could open. 
And oh, how many times have had all we could testify this morning with somebody we know, go to church with, or a loved one, when the doctors say there's nothing that can be done, there is no hope, but there's a God in heaven who supersedes the doctor's knowledge, the doctor's wisdom, the doctor's ability. And we say, look at what God has done. God has done something nobody else can do. Look at what God does with his church. He empowers his church. You look at what God does and say, look what God has done with his power. He does things that nobody else can do. He can open doors nobody else can open. But he can also close doors that nobody can open. It's much better to have the power of God working for you than against you. If there's not, if there's a clearer picture of this in Scripture, it doesn't come to mind. Look at verse 7. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. Watch this next phrase. And there he died by the ark of God. Lifeless body. Next to that which represented the presence and the power of God. How many Christians have lived their lives in frustration? How many Christians have ultimately faced the judgment of God? Not necessarily out of a heart of rebellion, but just approaching God in a casual way. Instead of the power of God working for them, the power of God begins to work against them. God, one of the ways, because we're so stubborn and hard-headed, that God tells us that we're going in the wrong direction is, is He begins to work against us. It's an amazing thing in the life of a church, you watch the life of a Christian as they get frustrated at a certain circumstance, and all you got to do is correct a thing or two, submit in an area, and then it becomes, well, the pastor's against me. The church is against me. I don't feel comfortable. No, 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 friend, you're missing it. You're missing it. For a moment, forget about your pastor. Don't turn me off, but forget about your pastor for just a moment. Forget about everybody else in the church. The power of God can work for you or it can work against you. And this man approached God in a casual manner with no regard for what God had said, no regard for the things that he had said. And I don't believe he had a rebellious heart. God said he killed him for his error because he did not approach the things of God in a way that he should have approached them. When God says this is the way something's supposed to be, you and I ought to take close, pay close attention to that. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall a man reap. You sow rebellion, you're going to reap rebellion. You, you sow disrespect, you're going to reap disrespect. It is the laws of God. And here is a man who had access to the power of God, was in the, what represented the presence of God, and now he lays dead next to the ark of God. Because the power of God can work for you, or it can work against you. One of the great dangers, I, I love the fact, the longevity of our church. Generations, many have 
babies in the nursery in the early service or in the nursery this service, and they grew up in our church, and now God's given them a family of their own, and you, you see the generations begin to, to, to come through like that, and what a blessing, and, and there's no greater thing for the children to grow up in the ministries of our church and be protected from this world in these second generation and third generation, and many of you who are saved later in life, you say, I wish I could have the opportunities that these young people I had in their life, but there's a great danger in the lives of these second and third generation Christians, not just rebellion, because rebellion's in the heart of every man. It's a casual approach to spiritual things. You've always been around the things of God. You've seen the miracles of God. You know that God is real. You know, but you don't face Him. You don't approach Him with an awe and a holiness. You've never seen firsthand the judgment of God. You've never known what it's like to fight against the things of God. And there's a danger that you have to approach spiritual things in a casual manner. Well, if I miss church, I'm not going to die. Or I can justify it this way. The power of God can work for you. The power of God can work against you. But make no mistake, the power of God is a very real thing. A ship and it sails. You get a wind behind that sail. And that ship, with ease, will cut through the water. But you let the sails set against the wind. It's going nowhere. So much more is the power of God. This morning, my greatest fear for our church and for the people of our church is not rebellion. We're always going to have to deal with our own rebellion. Man's rebellious creature. And it's sad that every time one of our young people, one of our young adults, one of our old adults just gets a rebellious heart towards God, a rebellious heart towards the things of God, God will deal with them. And it's tragic. And by the way, I, I just feel led to throw this in. That's why I'll fight you for you. Because I know what's coming. And it's a painful thing. If I'm going to shed tears, I'm going to shed them on this side and know that I fought. But I think I've put my finger this morning on a danger that we overlook. We're on guard for the rebellion. We're looking for it. But because we experience the preservation of God, the blessings of God, the spiritual success of following His Word, we get casual in our approach to God. Church is no longer that big of a deal. The Word of God does, doesn't do anything for us like it did at one time. Prayer is just an option. A holiness is just a set of rules that some pastor throws on you, and we approach God in a casual manner. Friend, you and I need to understand that every time we open the Word of God, this is the words that the God of heaven has spoken and preserved for 
for you and I, it is what we'll be judged by. I'm not going to be judged by the intentions in my heart, the intentions in your heart. I'm going to be judged by the obedience to the Word of God. God is a holy God. He has expectations for us. And quite frankly, we can get used to the goodness of God. And we'll approach God in a casual manner. And in one breath, we'll look at a wicked nation and say, God, judge them for their disobedience to you. And in the next moment, that card will start rocking. Because we've made an exception. We'll reach our hand in a casual manner. Not realizing the same fate awaits those that, in that instance, those that God deals with in their rebellion. How do you approach the things of God today? There are three things, three basic things that God gives, puts in the life of every Christian, or should be in the life of every Christian. The Word of God, the house of God, the man of God. How do you approach the three things that God has given you? The Word of God house of God, the man of God. You know what I mean by that, the word of God. We ought to be in the word of God every day and live by the word of God. The house of God is where every Christian ought to be. The man of God deserves no reverence. He does reserve respect because of the office that he holds. But when the man of God gets up and preaches the word of God in the house of God, Do we assume that's for everybody else? Or just maybe, just maybe, God might have sent that message for me. God might have sent that warning for me. God might have impressed this upon his heart for me. The danger that many of us face today is that we're approaching the things of God casually. How casual are you? in your relationship.